never know what you're going to get when you come to Central on a Sunday morning. And if this is your first time, well, give it a while uh, before you make any judgment calls. Uh, that's actually, not surprisingly, it was just a low-budget little video short that somebody made in response to a TED Talk by Tim Urban about instant gratification and procrastination. And since I figured you all are probably have issues with instant gratification like I do, I figured I would just show you the short video instead of making you watch the full 15-minute TED video, which communicates the same truth, which basically is when we know there's something we ought to do or the good that we ought to do, we, it's, he, he, he makes this analogy like there's like this little instant gratification monkey that says, no, 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 just go ahead and take the easy route out. Take, you know, here, you know, don't you want some chips? Why make that healthy, healthy food? Hey, you know, wouldn't you rather be just you know, perusing the internet rather than exercising or doing something productive for your day? You know, we always chase instant gratification at the expense of something that we really need to be doing. And so uh, that's one of the many issues we have uh, along the way. This series we've been talking about how we get stuck in a rut is it's all about strongholds. Last week we started off saying that strongholds are these uh, lies that we believe over time. In other words, they're the deep-seated uh, lies that we've come to accept, and we think that they're true. And they're lies that we tell ourselves about God or about God's nature, about life or the way life is, or about ourselves, what we're capable of, what we can or can't do. And they develop over time. Sometimes they're by experience that happened to us. Sometimes they're by things that we've done and just keep on doing, and they impact our mindset, they impact how we think, and ultimately they impact our behaviors, they impact our relationships, and they impact our finances. And that's what we'll be talking about in the next couple of weeks is behaviors, relationships, and finances in terms of strongholds. Uh, the reality is, is that all of your behavior is first determined by what you think. I think it's Proverbs 23, 7 in the New American Standard Version says that, for as one thinks, so he is. It's kind of like one of those Socrates moments, or as he thinks, so he is. Um, you know, everything in your life is an outpouring of what it is that you're thinking inside, uh, that your behaviors are the uh, gravitational drift of where your thoughts are going. So when your thoughts are going in a certain direction, your behavior is going to drift in that same direction because of the way that you think. Behind every sinful behavior is some lie that you believe. Behind every sinful behavior, there's a lie that you believe, whether it be about yourself or about God or about how life in general. Behind every sinful behavior, there's a lie that you believe. And the reason why change is so hard is two reasons. One is sometimes we try to change the behavior, not the thought. And if you're just trying to, it's, it's, it's basically like we're trying to treat the, what are they called? It's trying to see, treat the symptom and not the, the cause. Same kind of thing. You're, you're treating the behavior, well, I just need to do differently. No, you need to think differently because there's a thought that's moving you towards that behavior. So that's the first issue is we're trying to change behavior, not a thought. The second issue is it's really hard to change the way we think. Now, uh, strongholds, uh, we get this concept, whatever, out of the scriptures where it says, uh, for though we live by the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. This is over in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. And he goes on, verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Now, what the Bible refers to as strongholds, uh, psychologists call neuropathways. Now, as I've said before, I firmly believe the Bible is true. And because I believe the Bible is true, I don't have to just say, God says it, you do it. That's the easy route. That's the shortest route. The other option is you can go to 
science and you can ask them to do research and they'll spend a lot of money and a lot of time and if they do it correctly, if they do it rightly, if they do it honestly without a bias, they'll arrive at truth. And you'll find in the end, they say the same thing God does. Or you can be the test dummy, and that's really what you are, is the test dummy, and we call that learning the hard way. And that's where you've done your own trial and, and, and experiments, and you realize, oh, no, no, that, that's actually true. That's actually true. Yep, gravi gravity is a real force, right? So you can go any direction you want. So Bible calls it strongholds. Psychologists call them neural pathways. And what they refer to as they're talking about there is that what your mind does is, is it will develop pathways in your brain's uh, connectivity structure that when it finds a route that works uh, or a solution that works or something that brings some sense of happiness or pleasure or some way to defend yourself against a, uh, an enemy or something coming at you, it remembers that and tries it again and tries it again and tries it again. And pretty soon, when any impulse or stimuli comes in, your brain naturally routes it through your mind in a certain pattern to a certain place in your brain to process it, and they call that a neural pathway. Other thing they talk about is how your brain has a neuroplasticity, which sort of uh, uses the analogy of plastic in the same way that you can mold plastic to conform around a shape. Your brain can be molded around whatever it is that you want to mold it around. Now, on the good side of that is, if your brain's not molded the way you want to, it's pliable. You can move it and change it to something else. The bad side of it is, if you've ever melted plastic and bent it to a certain spot, it's pretty hard to move it. You've got to do a lot of work. You've got to basically remelt the thing to move it again. You ever had like plastic that's bent, you're trying to rebend it. You ever try to work with electrical conduit and bent? Yes, moving on. Um, the point is, it's very difficult to do, which is why the scriptures call these neural pathways strongholds. Now, the other issue that we face is because of what the Bible calls our sinful nature, we typically develop these neural pathways in such a way that they are, we would call them ruts. We get in these ruts that we get into that don't lead where we want to go. Uh, it, it's sort of like you're driving down a muddy road and your steering wheel is constantly going where you don't want to go. That's what our sinful nature does. Paul describes it over in Romans 7 this way. Now, I tried to read this first service. I'm dyslexic. I'm going to quote it to you from memory or give you the concept, but you can read it if you want, and you'll realize how this is a dyslexic nightmare. What Paul says in Romans 7, he says, you know, I know what I ought to do, and what I ought to do is what I want to do, but when I go to do that, I don't do it. What I end up doing is the very opposite of what I want to do. The very thing I'm trying to not do that's what I find out I'm doing. You see why it would be a dyslexic nightmare to try to read this instead of just quoting you the concept? But we all know this. We've all been there. We've all done this. In every area, we wake up, we say, you know, I'm going to start working out. And then we don't. Well, I'll wait till after Thanksgiving. New Year's. New Year's, we will do it. Because there's always a reason the procrastination monkey comes in. There's always a reason to put it off and do it some other day. Because that's our rut. Our rut is we will put it off. We will do it another day. Our rut is... I want to sleep in. I don't want to eat. I don't want to go there. And so that's all right. I don't do what it is that I want to do, even though I say it's what I want to do, and I know it's really what I ought to do. I find that I don't do it. Why? Strongholds, neural pathways, whichever way you want to call it, same thing. It just keeps pushing you down that same path. Now, this week what I wanted to do is I want to talk about how, you know, we, we talked about, I'm going to look in three different areas in this series, behaviors, uh, relationships, and finances. Why those three? Because several years back when we were uh, building this church, 
we were trying to figure out what areas of, what are we going to focus on when it comes to our small group ministry, and somebody, I don't know where I read on a Reddit or somebody said, it's like, you know, you, you need to basically, you put the Band-Aid where the hurt's the worst, or, or you basically put the medicine where the hurt's the worst, and the idea there is, is what is it in our lives that causes us the most problems? Well, our finances, our relationships, and our behaviors. And so if you look at our small group structure, you'll see that it's really geared towards addressing those three things. That's why we try to always uh, offer Financial Peace University. We offer a lot. It uh, seems like a lot of your, your small groups are for like couples and things. Why is that? Because relationships are jacking people up. That's why. And then you really put a lot of effort and devotion stuff. I mean, you're really, you're really doing a lot with celebrate recovery. Why? why? Because behavioral issues are, are a big issue for everybody. And so hurts, habits, and hang-ups, whatever they are, we, we are going to focus on that. So that's really the kind of the, the, the why behind the what. So this morning we're talking about behaviors. And the question comes up is, is what is the thought process that leads to destructive behaviors? Now, for everybody, it's something a little bit unique and a little bit different. But being that I'm a pastor and I've got now about 20 minutes left to talk about one thing that's going to affect the most people, uh, if there's a broad category, it's this issue of instant gratification. Uh, for many of us, you know, regardless of what the rest of the thought processes are, we all struggle with the issue of instant gratification. Instant gratification is where I got to have it now. Now, I am reluctantly accepting the fact that I am now in that older crowd. I don't want to. I don't like to think of me as that. But I remember back when I was in my 30s. <laughs> I think I was 36, 37, and one of the pastoral networks I'm a part of was doing a meeting for young pastors, like young pastors network. I'm like, hey, how come you didn't call me up for this? Like, I know everybody going to this. They're like, well, you're over 35. <laughs> wow. Now I'm well past 45, so you know, I don't know what that makes me now. But it's so tempting to be like, oh, kids these days, they just got to have everything now, right? But that's not kids. That's all of us. I mean, and you think about, when you look at what, what the, the products and the companies and what they do, they're catering to what they know that you all want. I mean, it was Amazon Prime. What does Amazon Prime do? get you? Two-day shipping. I mean, because who's got a week to wait for it anyway, right? That's what it used to be, two-day shipping. But aren't you almost expecting now next-day shipping on Amazon Prime? Like, if it takes you the full two days, you're like, what gives, man? <laughs> and... Amazon had to cave and who delivers on Sunday because, I mean, seriously, you really want me to wait all the way till Monday if I were on a Friday? Uh-uh. No, 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 no. So next day. But now, and what they did, had to do for that is they had to move all of their warehouses closer to you so they get it to you the next day. And then now what is it? Prime now. You're going to get to me in a few hours, right? I, I mean, I can't wait. I got to have it now. When it comes to the way we watch TV shows, it's really interesting. Just in the past 10, 15 years since my kids came into this world, the way it's even shifted. So when they were kids, everything was DVR'd, right? And what you would do is you would DVR all the kids' favorite shows, and then when they would wake up, you basically knew that you had about an hour or two of free babysitting by just plopping them in front of the TV. Early on, made two, three years old, they learned how to use the, you know, the little circle, like little circle arrow button that fast forwards like about 30 seconds. They learned how to use that button to fast forward through their commercials so they didn't have to wait for them. And that was it, right? And then you remember the first time you went over to a friend's house and they just turned on the TV and they expected their show to be on there and you're like, well, um, uh, no, see, that's on our DVR. We, you, know, that's, uh, you know, where's my show? I want it now, right? I've, I've cultivated it. And then when they had to actually watch a full commercial, not working. 
Not working, right? Because I got to have it now. But how old school is the whole DVR thing, right? We stream. We, we, just, we, we get the whole season right now. And, and aren't you frustrated with those evil TV producers who only release one episode a week? <laughs> this past week, Michelle was watching Yellowstone, and she got to the end of season three, and it said, you know, season four, I just had to wait like 10 seconds for it to, you know, a little wheel, like five seconds for it to come up, and I grabbed the remote, and I hit pause. Like, nope, you are not allowed to watch it that quick. I had to wait a full year to figure out what happened. <laughs> and I, I protest to you finding out instantly what happened. This is not fair. You with me on this, right? You got to wait. You got you to you gotta, you gotta ask some people about what you think is going to happen. You got to marinate on this. You're not going to appreciate what happens next until you've had some time. And she grabbed the remote back and she's like, I'll watch it if I want to watch it. <laughs> and I said, I got a sermon for you, lady what she's getting herself into. Yeah, um, even dating now, we're not going to wait for dating, right? I mean, who's got time to learn how to have a personality, you know, to get a, get a little bit of game, a little bit of skill, you know, to approach? The heck with that, man. Swipe, 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 swipe. Oh, somebody said yes. Oh, they're going to meet me. Perfect. Isn't that what it is now? You don't have to do anything. You don't have to be anybody. You don't have to work at it at all. It's just there. Whatever you want in life is always instantly there. And, you know, you say, well, but what's wrong with all of that? What's wrong with that? What's the, what's the spiritual issue here? The issue is you can get just about anything you want nowadays instantly. I mean, that's what our consumer culture has done. Anything you want, you can get instantly except one thing, fulfillment. You can have instant gratification, but you won't find fulfillment. And it doesn't matter what area you go into, that's the spiritual principle there. Now, behind that, you ultimately find you're only fulfilled when you have a loving relationship with Jesus Christ that you'll be able to enjoy for all eternity. Uh, you only find fulfillment when you begin to recognize who you are, how you're made, and whose image you're made, what he's made you for. That's what the longing of your hearts are all leading towards. All the cravings that are deep within your soul all point towards that. And all of that takes time. It all takes time. We want it now, and it doesn't happen now. For me, this was a... Uh, the part of the Christian life gets really accelerated when you're a pastor because you have sort of this expectation that you're kind of like doing all this stuff. So I remember I had this faulty idea, I've told you this before, I had this faulty idea when I was at Florida State that, okay, God's called me to be a pastor. When I go to pastor school, that's when I'll do the pastor thing. But right now I'm at the number one party school in the country and I'll do this now. And then when I get to school, I'll just flip the switch and do all the other stuff. Well, that summer I did an internship with a pastor where I actually lived in this pastor's home and followed him around every single day so I could learn how to be a pastor. And I remember the first time I stubbed my toe, I don't know, I stubbed my toe or I dropped something and I had very colorful expressions. <laughs> and I realized in that moment that it's hard to just flip the holiness switch and change instantly, right? That it takes a while because there's a lot of, a lot of it just, it's gonna take a while. Um, so it takes a while to, to get a change. Uh, this is also the same sort of premise that uh, the movie Jerry Maguire was all about. Remember that? Yeah, Jerry Maguire, who develops this long-term relationship with Rod Tidwell, Cuba Gooding Jr. And at the very end of the movie, when it kind of reaches that, 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 you know, the fulfillment of this, and, and both of them feel fulfilled because of the relationship they built, and then it pans over to the guy who's chasing the instant crash grab all the time. It was Bob Sugar, played by Jay Moore. 
and he tries to go give his client a hug, and he's like, eh, get off me, man. It ain't like that. When you chase instant gratification, you're doing it at the expense of ultimate fulfillment. Not to mention the fact that most of the stuff you chase for instant gratification is at the expense of long-term fulfillment and all of the sinful choices that you end up making. Uh, there's so many cliches we have about this. Nothing tastes as good as healthy feels. You're either chasing ch happiness or finding joy. Um, if recovery doesn't come first, then everything else in your life is going to come last. Uh, I'm not telling you it's going to be easy. I'm just going to tell you it's worth it. Uh, so in discussing this, Paul over in Philippians chapter 3 says this. He says, join together with me following my example as brothers and sisters. Just as you, just as you have been, uh, just as you have been, and you use us as a model. Uh, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For I have often told you before, and I now tell you again, even in tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait a Savior from there, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they'll be like his glorious body. Uh, here he's talking about this issue of instant gratification. This is right after Paul says, you know, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to strive towards becoming more like Jesus Christ. That's, that's my goal. That's my effort. Many of y'all probably have heard that verse before, Philippians 3, where he says, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward. That's where he's talking about I'm trying to become more like Christ. That's, that's my goal. I want to I know him more. I want to become more like him. That's my goal. However, he says, but uh, the opposite of that is where somebody lives where their God is their stomach. Uh, he says their God is their stomach. It's an issue with impulse control, uh, always chasing after immediate pleasure. Uh, there's probably no better time to talk about their God is their stomach than Halloween, right? I mean, think about this. If you asked your kids, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to visit every house in this neighborhood, and I want you to deliver a paper to each one of these houses, okay? How many? The whole block. You have to walk the entire block, and you got one hour to do it. No, I'm not doing that. What if I told you, everywhere you went, they'd give you candy? What? Right? But think about this. For the sake of getting candy, they're willing to walk an entire neighborhood that they would not do any other time. They would tell you they don't have the power to do it, the energy to it, anything, right? They're willing to walk the entire neighborhood on foot, knock on every door, okay? Meanwhile, everywhere in your neighborhood, they've tried to make this venture as scary as they possibly can for these kids, right? I mean, every worst fear and nightmare is out there. People being mutilated, not just killed, but mutilated, right? Uh, there's spiders, rats, snakes, right? There's stuff jumping out of the woods. There are rabid wolves, dogs, animals that are coming out, werewolves, every, everything you could possibly imagine to try to deter you from doing it. Yet, they're still going after it. And you say, you still want to do this? Yes, okay. You got to wear this silly thing. Oh, I don't care. I'll wear that, <laughs> right? Also, they can get candy, right? And then they come home and they dump it out on the floor. And what do they want to do? eat it all. Now, as a parent, you got to do the right thing. Be like, no, you can have three pieces of candy. It's already getting late. It's a school night. You, okay, I'll give you four. You, you choose four. And it, one year, though, I was like, you know, I'm going to do an experiment. They said, how much can we have? I said, eat whatever you want. I think it was one of those years where Halloween was like on a Saturday, so, or it's like on like a Friday or Saturday, so I think it was on a Friday, so it didn't like really matter, you know, the next day or whatever. It's like, you can eat whatever you want. They're like, what? 
is this a trick? <laughs> I was like, no, you know, we don't have school tomorrow. You, there's no limit, man. Just eat as much as you want. And sure enough, man, if those two little boys didn't just devour everything they possibly could. And I'm like, Lord, please give them a stomachache. Please give them a stomachache. <laughs> if you don't, I will be so mad and this will have backfired. Their whole entire future is at stake here, Lord. Please give them Montezuma's revenge. Give them whatever you have to do. Give it to them, right? If you know what, if you've been to Mexico, you know what that is. And sure enough, both of them sick as a dog, upset stomach, multiple trips over to the restroom. And I was like, so how was that? Oh, I'm never doing that ever again. I said, here's two things. One, unfortunately, I know you will because that's human nature. Second of all, I will remind you this every single time you want to do this again, right? When your God is your stomach, that's what you do. There's a story about this from history. Um, I have to read it to you because it's, it's a little, little entailed. Uh, it's from the uh, novel or, or story about the three, uh, the three Edwards. It says, back in the 14th century uh, Belgium, there was once a duke named Reynald III. Reynald was the ruler of the kingdom, and he was a very large man, often called by his nickname Crassus, which was Latin for fat or large. After a particularly violent quarrel with his younger brother Edward, Edward resolved to overthrow his brother Reynald. After a successful revolt against Reynald, Edward captured him alive and imprisoned him uh, in the Newark Castle. But Edward didn't just throw his brother into the dungeon or a cell and lock the door behind him and throw away the key. Rather, he had a far more inventive idea in mind. Edward had a room built around his extremely large brother, complete with windows and doors, except the room contained no bars and no locks. What he did do, though, was made the entrance too small for Renaud to fit through, although smaller men could fit through it with ease. Edward uh, said that Reynald would regain his title and his property in full if only he could fit through the door and walk to his freedom. That sounded simple enough, yet Edward had another trick up his sleeve. Every day he had the castle chefs bring exquisite food to Reynald, and every day he was presented with choice foods. And with that came the choice, overcome your addiction or die in this room. This is a true story, by the way. When the Duke Edward was accused of being cruel to his brother, he responded, my brother isn't a prisoner here. He may leave whenever he wills. If he is a prisoner, then he is a prisoner of his own appetite. Reynald ended up living in that room for 10 years, was never able to overcome his addiction. Even after his brother was overthrown and he was set free, he died a year later of health issues. Um, if you ever hear somebody call being a prisoner of their own appetite, this is probably where that story originated. And of course, all of us can see that's, that is us. If that is not addiction, I don't know what is. You can get free anytime you choose. All you've got to do is choose fulfillment over the gratification. And every single day, the food would come in. And this is me right there at, at the taco restaurant I talked about last week. You know, I'm at a Mexican restaurant. You put the chips in front of me, I'm going to eat them. I can't not eat the chips. I just can't do it. Um, and so when he says that God is your stomach, I think the reason why Paul uses the eating metaphor is because it's something that's universal to all of us. All of us have an issue with food. I mean, how many times have you, I mean, every one of us has been there at the table and you're absolutely stuffed and then all of a sudden somebody puts out your favorite dessert. How do you say no? You know, the best you can do is, I'll just, I'll just have a little sliver, <laughs> right? You get it, I'll just have a bite of yours, right? You know how that goes, right? All of us have this kind of issue. Now, of course, I'm saying this right now. 
full disclosure, I've got a donut on my desk <laughs> that I get every day on the way to church, you know, every Sunday on the way to church, and I'm like, man, I so desperately want to eat this donut right now, but I feel like a hypocrite if I do, I don't know what I'm going to do. So that's, that's what I got going on right now back there as I'm preaching to you about the God is your stomach. Um, so what do we do? Well, the three things we talked about last week, we'll find them here as well. Uh, we feed our, we got to feed ourselves the truth. Um, we've got to uh, free our mind of the destructive thoughts, and we've got to focus on the right things. So Paul here right now talks about feed your mind on the truth. He says, but here's the truth. You are a citizen of heaven, and we eagerly wait a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables and bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they'll be like his glorious body. Uh, part of the motivation of instant gratification uh, is I've got to get all that I can get here in the now. I mean, after all, life is short. We don't have a whole lot of time. I mean, after all, what's the whole point and this is my issue with, with the donuts. Like, you know, what's the point of eating healthy, right? Even the healthiest among us still don't live past 100 typically. And I've seen the guys who are over 100. That ain't living. No offense to those of you who are over that. You get what I'm saying. Don't be critical. Don't write me the email, right? I even, when I sat down with a, a financial planner one time, he's like, well, you know, with what you're saving and what you, you know, think you're looking at, your money's going to run out at 94. And I said, I'm fine with that. And he was like, why? I'm like, dude, man, I don't want to be over 94. I've seen 94. I don't have a lot of good examples of somebody who's like, you know, I'm living my best life right now. They're alive, and that's about all they can typically say. So if you know somebody who's over 94, I'm sorry. I'm just calling it like I see it. That's just not me. It's good for you. I just look at it and say, eat the donut and don't worry about it, right? I have a hard time. I'm not giving you a good example. I know. I'm going against my own teaching here. I'm just saying I have a hard time with this. Why? Because I look at it and say, what's the point? My body's going to die at some point. That's why I have a hard time with this denying myself instant gratification. I've shared this before. Somebody once said to me, I'm in, I'm sitting in a meeting and there's, there was a very clear choice between the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do. And he looked back at me and he says, come on, man, life's short. I came back to him and I said, well, yeah, it is. And if life is so short as you say it is, what difference does it make if you do this for the next 40 years? Isn't that really a short time in light of eternity? You're a citizen of, he of heaven. That's where you're going to go. If you had to give up this for this short period of time, for all that you would gain for the long period of time, wouldn't that be worth it? Yeah. But the whole thing about instant gratification is we don't want to spend and invest the time, whether it be in an education, whether it be in a trade school, or whether it be taking an entry-level job. We don't want that. We just want the summit experience. And we forget that you have to climb a mountain to get to the summit, right? We just go for the instant gratification. We do this in relationships. Why try to build a long-term relationship? Sex is easy to get. It's available. You can download it. You can do whatever. I mean, it's, it's, it's right there. You know, why try to, to build wealth over time, Right? Go for the quick cash grab. Everywhere is just always about the instant gratification, the here and the now. And if you look at most of your destructive choices, there's some instant payoff you're looking for at the expense of a long-term fulfillment involved in that. Uh, uh, so yeah, life is short. Uh, understanding who you are. You are a citizen of heaven. You are a child of God. You are bought with a price. You are not your own, the scriptures say. You've got to remember who you are. One of the lies you're telling yourself is that you know, I evolved, or I am here, I'm just, I'm just a guy. No, you're not. You are, you are made in the image of God, and this is not what you were made for. He goes on to say then, um, 
He says, and I have the power, that Jesus Christ has the power to make uh, a change in here. He says, um, who by the power that enables to bring everything under control and transform our lowly bodies into his glorious body. Uh, the lie we tell ourselves is, I can't make a change. And the reality is, first of all, you don't have to make it on your own. God wants to work a change in you. Uh, earlier in this uh, letter, Paul writes this over in chapter 2 of Philippians. He says, to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. In other words, uh, your salvation where God makes you clean, he makes you new, he's forgiven, uh, you're pure before God. He says, continue to work that out in your life. Meanwhile, God is working in you. Uh, I, think Bill, I don't know if it was Bill Hybels who first said it, that's who I first heard it from, said, work like it depends all on you, pray like it depends all on God. Work like it depends all on you, pray like it depends all on God. There's a partnership here in your life of moving you towards holiness. That God's working in you to do what you can't do, but God is not going to do for you what only you can do. Um, where are we at? Um, uh, I love how earlier in here he says, uh, if you go back up just the previous verses where he says um, in Philippians 3, he says, listen, you know this holy life that I'm talking about that right now may seem too hard to, achi- to achieve? It is. You're not going to reach the mountaintop in a day. You're not going to become holy in a day. You're not going to become like Christ tomorrow. He says, I am working towards this. I am striving. This is what Paul says. I'm just going to go the verses before this in Philippians 3. He says, not that I've already obtained this uh, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took, and hold, took of hold of for me. In other words, because Jesus dies on the cross, he instantly says, I, I will treat you as though you are holy, and one day I will make you holy before me. So he says, I want to live out and be holy now like he is ultimately making me. So he says, I want to take, he says, not that I'm already holy, but I'm pressing towards it. That's what I want to try to be in my life. So he says, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself already having taken hold of it. One thing I do, though, is I forget what's behind. Some of y'all need that right there. Forget what's behind. I strain towards what is ahead. I'm looking towards ahead, and I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. All of us then, he says, who are mature, should take such a view of things. Remember, I said, it all starts in your mind. You've got to change the way you're thinking about this. You've got to have that with your mindset, that you are striving to become more like Jesus. You're not going to get there instantly. You don't come to church, get baptized, and come up out of the water and go, oh, wow, I'm a new person. You're on the path. You're on the path. Has he made you new? Yes. Is everybody going to see a change in you today? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It may take you a while to work this out. So he says, I don't want you to get the idea it happens instantly. All who are mature are going to take this kind of view. He goes on, he says, view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you all about changing your mind. If you think you're going to get this instantly, it's not going to happen, and God's going to make that clear to you. Paul's like, I have a thorn in my flesh that's kept me from being the kind of person I want to be. It's made it a struggle every day where I've continually had to rely on God. He says, only let us live up to what we've already attained. Like, hey, he's already made you holy. Let's just try to be as holy as he's already made us. Let's make that our goal. Uh, The opposite of that, though, is where your God is your stomach and you're just chasing after instant gratification. That's where he goes to next. So uh, what we need to do is we need to focus on the truth, all those things that I said. We need to free our mind of destructive thoughts. What's a destructive thought? Our God is our stomach, instant gratification. I got to have it right now. Uh, Years, I I showed this a couple of years ago. Uh, This is everything the marshmallow experiment's trying to explain. Uh, The marshmallow experiment's where they take some four-year-olds, they put marshmallows in front of them and say, you know, if you eat the marshmallow now, you can have the marshmallow, but if you wait, I'll give you two marshmallows. Uh, and they said this is one of the greatest determiners of success in the life of your child, of whether or not they'll wait for the two marshmallows. It's all about delayed gratification. The earlier you can gr- grasp the concept of delayed gratification, the better you're going to be in life. Why? 
because what you ultimately want is fulfillment, and it's going to be at the expense of your instant gratification. Um, a couple of things, the, the destructive thoughts in here. Notice he says, their glory is their shame. Think about that for a minute. Their glory is their shame. In other words, the things that you ought to be ashamed of, you're high-fiving your friends over. Like, what do teenagers brag about in high school? Like, let me tell you what me and my girlfriend did last night, right? High fives. You never, it's never, let me tell you about the purity my girlfriend and I showed one another, right? <laughs> I'll let y'all work that out. Um, or think about, think about this. Somebody puts you down, you got like the perfect zinger to come back, then you tell your friend about it, and they say back to you, I'm very disappointed. Was that Christ honoring? Was that really what you should have done? I, I don't think that was right. Or do they go, woo, awesome, what'd they say? And you're laughing about it, right? Post that, post that, put that out there, right? We're high-fiving and celebrating the very things that are leading to instant gratification, rather than the things that push us towards ultimate fulfillment. And so the glory is their shame. Things we ought to be embarrassed about, we put on our hats, we put on our t-shirts, we put on our, uh, you know, put, we make little signs about them, whether it be about, you know, drinking, indulgence, revenge, all these things. Those are the things we promote. Those are the things we watch on TV. Those are the things we are entertained by. Is your, those are the glories or shame. Um, so free your mind from destructive thoughts. Uh, focus your mind on the right things. Uh, he says, join together. And following my example, brothers and sisters, just, if you, just as you have in us a model, um, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Bernie Brown said it this way, one day you'll tell your story of how you overcame and went through it, and that'll be somebody else's survival guide. Uh, one of the powerful things that happens at Celebrate Recovery is chip night. There's two powerful moments. One is when somebody takes a blue chip, that's when they said, you know, I'm doing this. I'm deciding today I'm going I'm to start this process. What fuels that, though, is the rest of Chip Night. And the rest of Chip Night is everybody who's coming up and said, I've been doing this for the past month. I've been doing this two months now. I've been doing this three months now. I've been doing this for six months. I've been doing this for a year. And we're saying, that's who you want to look to as your example. If they can do it, you can too. There's an example out there for you to follow. There's a lot of destructive examples out there for you to follow. You need to go out and find the right examples. So we've got to focus our mind on the right examples. Consider the outcomes of the way of their life. Elsewhere, Paul talks about it. He says, consider the outcome of our, way of, our, of our way of life and follow my example. I think he says that over in Hebrews. Uh, uh, and then lastly, the other thing we need to focus on is the transformation that only God can do. Uh, when he says transform our bodies, now he's talking about two things. One is God is ultimately going to transform you into a heavenly body after you die. However, we don't wait for that process to happen. We're working on that right now. That's what he mentions in the, over in Romans chapter 2. He says that we would not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but rather we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Once again, it all begins in how you think. How you change your behavior and what your body is doing and where it's going is you've got to first change the mind. You can do it. That's what you need to focus on. I've got to change the way that I'm thinking. I've got to go in a different direction. You've got to recognize when the procrastin procrastination monkey's coming in. And you could also call that the procrastination monkey or instant gratification monkey. That thing that just says, here, here, go quick, go quick. You've got to pause for a moment and go, okay, is what that is offering, is that going to get me to where I want to be? Is it going to make me happy right now? Yes. Is that going to be at the expense of getting everything done I need to get done today because that's what really is going to make me happy? Yes, also. So I can't be going down that road. So for you, your assignment is this simply. What's the behavior you want to change and what's the thought process behind it? 
in what way is instant gratification what you're using uh, in exchange for your long-term fulfillment. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace because every one of us struggles in this area of instant gratification. Father, I just ask, Lord, that you would um, give us the eyes to see, Lord, when we're making these choices. Father, it's one thing to have the knowledge, it's another thing to begin to apply it in our life. For each of us, it's typically in a different area, whether it be for food or for a substance or for an emotion. Whatever it is, Lord, it's a choice we're making simply because we want it now. Father, help us get, have the vision, Lord, to see that we are an eternal being and there's so much more at stake. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.